You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Thanks for joining us on this Monday morning. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Aaron and Jake hanging out here in the Caldwell Banker Group 1 Realty Studio in West Monroe. We haven't talked a lot about it so far, but, of course, uh, we did mention it last week, thinking that maybe Joe Burrow was going to pick LSU over mighty Cincinnati, and ultimately he decides he wants to be an LSU Tiger. He wants some competition at that quarterback spot, so the transfer leaves Ohio State left, two years of eligibility left at LSU, makes for a very crowded quarterback room now for Ed Orgeron and new offensive coordinator Steve Ensman. Yeah, and apparently we found the sales pitch from Ed Orgeron to Joe Burrow. It was floating around, and uh, we, we have our hands on that, and we'll play that for you right now. Rick. The Oxford English Dictionary defines grit as the ability to overcome the uncomfortable, the unyielding courage in the face of hardship. The unflinching resolve to never quit. It's also a delicious dish when paired with a shrimp. But down the bayou, grit means more. Grit is your mama calling you for supper, not to eat it, but to catch it. Grit is wrestling a gate in a swamp, the animal with the lowest pad level known to man. Grit is wanting it more in the fourth quarter, digging deep, finding that you fear. Grit is wanting it more in the fourth quarter, digging deep. Finding that fear, your opponent's eyes. Was that? Yeah, that's right. Find that fear in your opponent's yeah, eyes? Yeah, in your opponent's Okay, all right. I'm basically illiterate. All right, here you go. Finding that fear in your opponent's eyes. But more than anything, grit is earning your stripes. Being the king of the jungle. Wearing purple and gold on Saturday night. Grit is in your blood. Tiger blood. This is Coach Ed Ogeron. Welcome to Grit Week. Jake. All right, that was Barstool Sports. <laughs> they do their, uh, I think it's called Pardon My Take podcast, and they're, it's this is Grit Week. I don't know what that is, but he nailed it on one take. He almost. nailed it on one take. Oh, yes, yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they they have Ed Orgeron on their podcast, so if you want to hear Ed Orgeron's interview with Pardon My Take, I can only imagine. My favorite line in there was him talking about wrestling a gator, saying the 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 animal with the lowest uh, pad level known to man. Thought that was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, Ed Orgeron. If you want to, I'm I'm gonna listen to that after this for sure. So that was one of the sales pitches he used against sure, Joe Burrow right? to get him from Ohio. State. Yeah, that's a, that's a, what he tells all recruits, right? So as we break this down, the things that you need to know about uh, Joe Burrow. Of course, he comes in. Key thing to note: he's got two years of eligibility left. Graduated mm-hmm. from Ohio State in three years, so obviously he's pretty smart, right? You would think. No, he is. Uh, after the spring game, he told reporters, this was back in April, I came here to play. I didn't come here to sit on the bench for four years. I know I'm a pretty darn good quarterback. I want to play somewhere. He doesn't lack confidence. No. I mean, I, what else can we say about the guy? I, I know we, we've talked about him being Mr. Football. We've talked about him having success in the spring game. We've, you know, he, he's battled it out with Haskell before in the past, but then had an injury and that set him back. We know he's talented, but we need to actually see it. We need to actually see it on the field. I, I, 
I know it's something I say on repeat, but we've fallen for this before. I mean, Rob Bolden, people. Remember when he came to LSU and people were, like, excited? I think this kid's a little better than I think he Rob is, Bolden. too. I think he is, too. But I'm just saying, let's not get overboard here. When Russell Shepard signed to, to come play quarterback at first and eventually he moved to wide receiver, people, the expectations were through the roof. I'm just saying, let's not act like this is going to be the savior of LSU football before we even see him play. Yeah. Let's go through uh, now you look at in that quarterback room and you just go alone on their high school credentials because that's basically all you have to go on on all four yeah, of these quarterbacks. true. But if you're just looking at credentials alone and you're looking at the guys that you have to pick from, it's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I mean, you got Mr. Ohio football. Uh-huh. You got a guy that won, what, two, two, two state championships in Texas. Texas, Justin McMillan. You got the guy that really rewrote the record books in Mississippi, correct? Broke Brett Favre's records, yes. And Loyal and Narcisse, obviously, he had an injury-plagued high school career, but a very versatile, explosive athlete back yeah. in the day. Yeah. I think he still has something. A lot of talent there. a lot of talent in that room. And then Joe Burrow, his high school stats, uh, 11,000 yards passing, 157 touchdowns, and a measly 17 interceptions in his high school career. Senior year, 63 touchdowns and only two interceptions. Why would he leave Ohio State, though? They thought he was still in the running to be the starting quarterback next year there. He can only answer that, right? And the coaching staff as well. I don't know. Maybe – I mean, Haskell definitely had a leg up on him because he got to play some last year, and that's going to benefit Haskell. And the reasons why to be optimistic for LSU fans, I mean – he got, what, two, three years under Urban Meyer? Urban Meyer known to develop quarterbacks? <laughs> Isn't that a positive? It is, but it's just funny that that's what – at least he got to, you know, be developed by – Yeah, Urban Meyer. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, it's it's quite an insult to the current staff, but it's something worth bringing up. And also, we're looking at a kid that is uh, very versatile, is uh, rated as, what, a seventh or eighth best dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school – he has certainly shown the ability to uh, run the ball also and avoid uh, an, uh, the ability to scramble. Yes. So, we'll see. And supposedly to land. I mean, a lot of people thought this was a little bit of an upset, the fact that LSU won him over Cincinnati, considering, of course, his history in Ohio. And, of course, Cincinnati's head coach used to be an assistant at Ohio State. So, there was that connection. Uh, supposedly, reportedly, he met with uh, Steve Ensminger. They were scheduled to meet for about two hours, kind of go through some film work and things like that. And the meeting ended up taking lasting about four hours. So, does this make the win total jump up? No, not a chance. Did I miss my ch- my opportunity at the six and a half? That's the question I have. Mm. No, I mean, it could, Aaron. I mean. It's, People could look at this and say, well, maybe he offers something to LSU that they haven't had. But, again, nobody knows. We'll see. And then the other whole issue is he's got to come in. He's going to have to learn the system. And, of course, he's going to be way behind the other three. And then the dynamics of how they're going to make this work. And now the sales pitch that Ed Orgeron is working on all three of those quarterbacks. And which one of those quarterbacks do you not want to see leave? Brennan. I think Brennan still has the highest ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't know, man. And I, then the other thing that comes into play is the fact that, as we mentioned, Burrow has two years of eligibility mm-hmm. left. You're talking about three other quarterbacks. Millen has been around for a while, but he still does have. And the fact that we're even discussing him is pretty impressive because everybody else thought he was kind of a, 
an afterthought when this whole quarterback battle started. Yeah. And then what he did in the spring in the spring game, everybody thinks he's now the front runner. I'd say, yeah, but then we saw the spring game happen. Yeah. Turns out that Ed Orgeron wasn't, you know, blowing smoke. Blowing smoke. For the first all. time ever. Uh, well, I mean, I, I felt like it gave credibility to some of the other things he said because, oh, he's actually telling the truth. I, there actually is no separation with these quarterbacks. McMillan is right there with those guys and probably looked the best of all three in that spring game. So, yeah, I think because there is no separation, I don't think you'll see anybody transfer out until after the season, but I definitely do think you'll get one or two transfer out yeah. after the season. Best case scenario, it would never happen because uh, Miles Brennan probably wouldn't go for it. Allow him to redshirt this upcoming year and <laughs> actually put on even more weight and then be able to come back. Yeah, you're living – that's yeah, a pipe dream. I, that's what I told you, it would be a pipe dream, but I'm just saying. Yeah, in a, in a perfect world, sure, but that's not going to happen. We'll see, man. We'll see. It's more It's more – bodies in the quarterback room percentage rate uh the percentages that we're saying joe burrow will be the starting quarterback at lsu next fall the what first are, game what are the percentages against oh, my first game yeah. <sighs> you would think it's not, i think it's 20 25 30 percent that's kind of low yeah um you're, you're you know what the conversation is going to be, though. Right out of fall camp, well, he's still behind everybody else. He's still trying to pick the system yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, you got to learn it quickly. Uh, the good thing is that they're changing their offense anyway, that it's not Matt Canna's offense from last year. Yeah, but the other three have been through this spring. I get and of it. Course, I get other it. Terminologies. But I'm saying that they don't have a full year under their belt, so maybe he can make up enough ground. Reportedly, that was one of the major sales pitches of Ensminger and Orgeron, the fact that we're going to chunk the ball around a little bit more than we have in the past. And they should because they have really good receivers. If Terrace Marshall and Jamar Chase end up being as good as you know their recruiting profiles suggest, then this could be one of the best receiving units in college football. I think that highly of them, you look at Justin Jefferson, Jonathan Giles, D. Anderson is still really talented if he can get his head straight. The, those three guys, along with we haven't even mentioned Stephen Sullivan and Drake Davis, it's a very deep class. And what I'm saying is, if Marshall and Chase are good immediately when they, you know, get in there and fall camp and and you know perform, if they're ready to go, they're not rushed to go because you've already got a pretty solid receiving core. If they if they contribute and are as good as, like I said, the recruiting profile suggests. Mm. You're talking about not only one of the deepest, but one of the most talented receiving units in the country. I can say this is another case of uh, Jake, of course, drinking the LSU No, I, I'm breaking it down. Because still lost DJ Shark and Russell Gage, guys that were proven. I'm breaking it down, looking at uh, – Giles is proven. Giles did it at Texas Tech. Justin Jefferson looks Some to be worthy of the Some would say maybe he was a product of the system at Texas Tech. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see. Um Anderson, we've seen his athletic ability before. We haven't seen it consistently. Uh, Steven Sullivan, he looked to be the most improved, I thought, of the spring. You look at Drake Davis, he's still a project, but, man, that's a big frame. It's a big body to go up and get balls. And then Marshall and Chase were two of the most highly touted receivers in high school last year. So, I mean, you can look at that objectively and go, that's a really good receiving class or receiving core, and then if you – you can go ahead and say this is going to be a good unit. I'm not going to say it's going to be a great unit until I see 
what the other guys you do. You just said it has the potential to be the best in the country. If if uh, What I'm saying is I, I said that if Chase and Marshall show up and are as good as advertised. If they are, then yes, it could be. Mm-hmm. It really could be. And let's, let's not avoid the fact that they don't have guys anymore. The strength of this team is no longer running back. It's receivers. So you have to throw up more. Uh, ben points out outside of Odell and Landry, receivers go to die at LSU. And then they prosper once they leave. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They they usually do pretty they usually do pretty well once they go to the NFL. I do understand that uh, rookie minicamp, uh, Trey Quinn's looking pretty good with the Redskins. Yeah, just pointing it out. I know. Eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. After the break, we talk a little uh, college baseball. Grambling makes a run at, for a SWAC championship. They fall a little short. Of course, Louisiana Tech. The dogs continue to work on that resume. So does LSU. ULM season comes to an end. All that coming up after the break. Jonathan says, throw the darn ball. This year you throw to open up the run. That is, if any of these arms can do it. That's Jonathan weighing in on the situation with LSU and the offensive attack for next year. And I asked Jake uh, over the during the commercial break, so Joe Burrow, if it doesn't work out this year, he's got two years of eligibility remaining, being a transfer quarterback. Does that mean he can leave LSU and then go somewhere else without having to sit out? I assume so. I don't, I'm don't. i not that caught up on the rules, but uh, I don't think we've ever seen that case happen. Or somebody transfers twice after as a grad transfer, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little college baseball, an eventful weekend to say the least. Uh, Grambling makes a run at a SWAC championship. Ultimately, they fall a little short in the title game. The voice of the Tigers, Santoria Black, joins us. What's up, bud? Greetings and salutations, sir. How are you? Man, a, a heck of a run for Grambling, of course, looking what to get into a regional for the first time since uh, 2010. A nice run, but ultimately uh, they fall short in that championship game against a pretty good Texas Southern squad. Yeah, it was it was kind of tough on the Tigers. The third inning uh, proved to be the undoing when they had one out. There was an error made by the third by the right fielder. He tried to throw out a guy going to first base, and really the ball wasn't hit shallow enough, and ended up uh, going by the first baseman. He comes uh, the runner comes around going to second. Really a two base error and a run ends up uh, nine runs end up being scored in that inning. And so there was just the downfall from there. It was close, though. Uh, throughout Texas Southern took a one nothing lead, and Grambling tied it up at one in the second. And then a, a single uh, by Isaiah Torres. Uh, he got on base, and then all of a sudden, here comes Ortiz. He gets a base hit. Uh, Fel- uh, Felder gets a base hit, brings around Torres, and it's 2-1. to one. And after that third inning, that was it. Yeah, nine runs in that inning. 18-3 to three was the final. A great run, though, in the SWAC tournament considering a lot of people, you know, thought they were a little bit of a dark horse to kind of win this thing. Oh, it was amazing. You know, they started out uh, just uh, hammering Mississippi Valley. They beat they won, beat them 14-5. to five. Uh, They come back and beat the number one team out of the East in Alabama State, which this was really a little bit of an upset when a lot of people thought about it because Alabama State had been really just rolling all year long. Uh, they beat them 12-7, to seven, and that's not a game that Alabama State likes. They like to keep that score low. And so they did that in the second game because they had to come back and play a second game after Grambling lost uh, five to one. They came back and they beat them, uh, beat them by the same score, five to one, to get to the championship game. And the weather played a little bit of a factor because Grambling had to play two games on Saturday back to back, and they played into the night. And so that means Texas Southern they played really what was the first game of the day. Alabama State had to finish a game with uh, pra- with Prairie View at nine o'clock Saturday morning, about an inning. And then after that, 10 o'clock, Grambling started playing. And, of course, they started playing. In, in, uh, I'm sorry, Jackson State and 
um, Jackson State and Texas Southern played. Grambling had to play the two games in the afternoon and the night. I don't know if they weren't rested enough or what have you, but, you know, they left 10 men on base on the first five innings. Um, but it was just one of those things where once Texas Southern got rolling the third, it was just all over. And, Sam, when uh, the, the storm blew through there, anybody watched any footage of what took place down in New Orleans? That was a bad storm. You thought, well, this may actually help Grambling, but it really came around to kind of bite them in the butt, the fact that they had to play those two games on Saturday. Yeah, it did, because normally what you do is you play on Friday, and then if a team who's already lost a game, if they win, you come back and you play one game on Saturday to get into the championship. Well, you have to play a double header, and then you're playing the last two games of the day, and the second game didn't start until 6.30 Saturday night. You go till about, what, 9.30, 10 o'clock, and you got to get up and be ready for the championship game at 2. Meanwhile, Texas Southern got done with their game against Jackson State University, you know, somewhere around 12, 12.30, uh, maybe even, you know, 1 o'clock, and then they went back to the hotel. They were done. So, um, yeah, that, that storm when it came in on Friday really really hampered a lot. Um, you know, you thought they would give, you know, some teams some rest and things like that, but for Grambling, the two games on Saturday really did kind of hurt. All right, Sam, what do you make of this season? They end up, what, 26-26 uh, and 26 overall. I think it's a – you know, they had a great year. I think that, you know, you've got uh, Marshawn Taylor – who was absolutely incredible this year. Uh, Ace Felder, who had a tremendous tournament. Um, in, in the tournament, Rafael Ramirez and, and Isaiah Torres both had home runs uh, in the tournament. Uh, you know, they really played well. Um, and I think overall, when you look at that starting lineup, I think the only one with the exception of Rafael Ramirez, who's a sophomore, everybody else is a junior. So the whole lineup is coming back. Where you're really going to start to see some things is that the pitching – so you've got guys like Hernandez, you've got Beiser. You know, those guys are now seniors. I think four or five pitchers is what you're going to end up losing. So I'm, I'm sure that Coach Cooper has already done some great recruiting and, and he's going to have some great arms coming in. But for a lineup to all be coming back and they're all juniors, if everything stays intact, they'll have that entire lineup coming back. They will lose Marshawn Taylor, though. They will lose year. Taylor. They lose Taylor. And, and that, that was just a remarkable story, how his career played out. I mean, literally a kid that was cut and then develops into the SWAC's best player. Yes. I mean, just incredible in what he's done. Six Tigers make the all-conference team. You look at Taylor, man, and he's so been so steady all year long. Just an amazing player, great shortstop. And, you know, the thing is, is that really I could see him even playing second base. But just an amazing player, Marshawn Taylor, and – uh, I think that he really served Grambling well. Dan, we appreciate it. Oh, one other thing. You talked about the teams with the Golden Knights. Yes. I'm a huge hockey fan. There you go. So, I'm going to tell you this. Think about it in this in this aspect. It, usually, on average, it takes 12 years for an NHL expansion team to get to the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. And for the Vegas Golden Knights, when they had the expansion draft, they averaged getting the 10th to 12th best player on every single roster. When the Columbus Blue Jackets were an expansion team, they didn't win over 25, 26 games. I think maybe 28. Minnesota didn't win over 25, 26 games when they were an expansion team. You look at one of the original six, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they haven't won the Stanley Cup since 1967. And so for the Vegas Golden Knights to be where they are right now is unprecedented. And I think Tabor had a good point. Winning, being, getting to the Stanley Cup is just incredible. Winning it, I think, would be one of the greatest team performances in history. I mean, it's just that unique and that strange to see an expansion team get like this. I mean, Atlanta didn't do it. You know, Atlanta ended up becoming the Winnipeg Jets, who 
oddly enough, Vegas beat. So it's just really, really unique to see the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights get this far. So how did they do it? Some franchises just make some huge blunders making those players available? Well, you got you just had some really good players, and you had a goal that gets real hot. I mean, Flurry is incredible uh, in between the poles. I mean, that's probably been the mainstay for this team all year long is getting Flurry from the Pittsburgh Penguins. As a matter of fact, when they played him, they just gave him a standing ovation because of what he meant to the team. But a lot of it is just chemistry. Um, this is a team that was able to get some really good players in the expansion draft. Uh, that were some some of these guys have been rejects and things like that. But if you think about the coaching job that has been done with Vegas, you're able to take a lot of different players who some of these players were, you know, I'm not going to say all-star caliber, but extremely good. They just played their roles extremely well, and they were able to take advantage of a lot of mistakes that teams made, especially in the West. West is not easy to get through, and for them to do what they did to Winnipeg and, and just to be able to get to this point was incredible. All right, Sam, let me ask you this question. So right. if this NHL Finals goes a ways, and you have an opportunity, and it comes to between you're going to watch uh, Justify go for a triple crown or a game six or seven the NHL Finals, what are you watching? Dude, I'm watching game seven. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm a hockey fan. I mean, look, Justify is great, and I hope he wins a triple crown, but I'm not turning down an opportunity to watch a game seven in NHL. Wow. Sam, since you're such a hockey fan, I want to ask you this. So we were, we were talking about where this should rank in regards to greatest sports moments in our lifetime. And I brought up some that I thought should be above it. You Where, actually have to watch a game, Jake, to actually have it ranked. <laughs> well, I, true. But I'm saying but I'm saying I can acknowledge it's a great sports story. Yes, it is. But San obviously is invested in this. That's why I'm asking him this, not you, Aaron. All right, so I had Sox, Red Sox 04. I had Chicago 2016. I had, um, you know, even Saints post Katrina. Thinking of those those three things, where does what Vegas has done now compared to those other three? Would you say that that this is a better sports moment than those other three I just named? If Vegas wins, they they can move up into the top three. I mean, it's just that big, and just where they are right now, it, it's kind of hard to argue. And I would even go LeBron being down to the Golden State three yes. one. I don't think it could overtake those now. I think it's an amazing feat what they've done getting to the Stanley Cup Finals, which is very, very rare. But I think if they win the Stanley Cup, it can definitely battle any of those that you mentioned. I mean, it's just that big. When you're talking about an expansion team, think. let me put it in perspective for you. Think of it as of if the Jacksonville Jaguars in their first year went to the Super Bowl and then had a chance to win it in their first year. I mean, you couldn't even fathom that. Think of it as if, um, you know, you had a team like the, the even I'll take even the, the Raiders. The Raiders turn around, and they were an expansion team, and they won it in their first year off a bunch of players from an ex – I'll give you like this. It would, it would be if Cleveland won the Super Bowl this year. That's how big okay. that would be. You took a lot of expansion players, a lot of rejects, and you won the Super Bowl. That's how big that would be. If a huge tree falls down in the woods and no one sees it or hears it, is it huge news? <laughs> you know what? I guess it's it's not. You know, if nobody hears it. But I mean, look, but it, it is great gaining some steam though. It is getting some national headlines though. It is. It's, it's huge. You know, for hockey fans, this is a big deal. 
Um, and, and it's, I'm not, a, you know, it's, it's not one of those things where a lot of people are going to say, Hey, you know, this is the best thing. You know, if you really haven't, if you really don't watch hockey a whole lot, it's going to be hard for you to put this in perspective on just how big it is. But, you know, look, it's, it's definitely going to rank top five in all time team sports. If they win the Stanley cup, I mean, there's no question. All right. When's this thing get underway? Is it, uh, next couple of days, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't even looked at the calendar yet. Cause I've been involved with baseball. How about that? Hey, enjoy some time off, Sam. Thank you. Appreciate you. I got to say this. Sam has sold that better yes. than you've sold anything with horse racing. <laughs> so I will tune into that before I tune into the next horse race because, man, that was a mistake. What was your wife's uh, reaction when you uh, – Why are you watching this? <laughs> what, is, what is attracting you to this? All right, so summer viewing habits. Uh, horse racing. Tell me what you'd watch. Horse racing, uh, first take. Get the hot dog eating championship. Why is coming. first take always involved? I gotta incorporate him somehow. A NASCAR race, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, or U.S. Opens down the road. Uh, so Cornhole championship. What, what would I watch first? Yeah. You're asking. Um, I guess uh, you said U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the U.S. Opens Labor Day weekend. Okay, well then not that, and then Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Yeah, you take that over all those options. Yeah. I oh, would. the one option you would not though: college softball. Yeah, you're right. I would watch college softball before that. And what was the controversy? Because you were all in LSU versus uh, the Cajuns. Well, it was tied one to one in the second game, and uh, I believe it was Shamai Sanchez was going home, and she looked to be gunned down, mm-hmm. tagged out. They called her safe, which gave LSU the two one lead. This was in the sixth inning, and boy, ULL's coach uh, came unglued. Glasgow, he came out on fire. He got tossed, uh, so that was the controversy. Uh, is it true that Will Wade threw out the first pitch for this game between the Cajuns and the Tigers? I didn't see that. And maybe that's pretty good. That is that is pretty good. Considering the history and of course everything that took place with the Cajuns I, I mean, and that's, the Tigers last. That's what we call shade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we go to break, we want to continue to mention college baseball. Uh, Louisiana Tech now gets ready for Conference USA play. We certainly look forward to hearing from Elaine Burroughs tomorrow on the show. The dogs go in as the number two seed, but it will not be easy in that first round matchup as they will be taking on a highly motivated Rice Owl squad. Of course, with uh, Wayne Graham stepping down or being forced out as uh, Rice's head coach. Saturday after the, the thrilling victory over Old Dominion, Lane Burroughs was asked about the seeding in Conference USA play. You don't bring that up. I know it was, uh, I think they got rained out down there. So, you know, if we win, probably all these percentage points, I didn't do good in math. And uh, it's kind of crazy. But uh, you felt like, hey, we can finish second in the league and uh, you don't have to play at 9, 9.30 in the morning. So, um, you know, I think where our program's headed uh, to finish second, we were picked down at the bottom and, and uh, just so proud of our guys. And that's what it's all about, man. And uh, so to come out and win, knowing we needed a win and, uh, we didn't bring it up to the guys. I don't know if they knew or not, but just uh, all we can take care of is what's in front of us in the next game, and I thought we did that today. I don't really talk about momentum in baseball that much from game to game, but what is important is confidence. Uh, you know, now we've shown we can walk somebody off. We hadn't all year, so it's in your head, and I think confidence is huge in our game, and uh, guys are or maybe we're struggling and they got a big hit or, or whatever, and, uh, you know, not so, so momentum's as good as the next day starter on the mound. That guy's going to control the momentum. You saw today that guy – he kind of stopped our momentum, but uh, we were able to uh, get some confidence going in the tournament. Uh, last year, we didn't have much confidence. We lose two out of three going to the tournament. And uh, as you guys know, tournament takes on a life of its own, too. It's usually who's hot and uh, who's playing with confidence for about four days. That's usually the team that comes out on top. 
forward to hearing from Elaine tomorrow at 8.30. Pretty cool. Only walk-off they've had this year comes in the final regular season home game, and it comes at Dalton Skelton's last at bat at home at J.C. Love Field. He comes through with the big hit. Good stuff. Let's take a timeout. Coming up next, uh, the voice of the Warhawks. Nick White joins us for his weekly visit. Warhawks, unfortunately, cleaning out their lockers this morning as uh, their season has come to an end. We'll be positive, though, after the break on the morning drive. Welcome back to the morning drive. Jake and Aaron hanging out here in the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in West Monroe. Nick White certainly knows where this place is at. He joins us, the voice of the Warhawks, on the Stuart Shelby Hotline. Nicholas, how are you doing this morning, bud? Hey, gentlemen, how are y'all? Uh, a little bit of a bittersweet morning. Uh, a little morning bit of a bittersweet morning. For you, I like that. You hear me echo. Uh, the fact you're turning a rental car this morning, the season has come to an end for uh, ULM. Certainly a nice run at it for the Warhawks with uh, 23 wins this year, but it does come to an end as they're unable to pick up a victory this past weekend down in Lafayette. Yeah, it was certainly, uh, you know, definitely disappointing, no doubt. Um, you know, they, they they went into the weekend with, with you know, good shot. And, you know, Co- Coach uh, Fed said all along he, he didn't want to have to depend on, uh, you know, anybody else. And, you know, at the end of it, they had to depend on other teams. And, um, you know, it, yeah, I, I was in, I wish I really wouldn't have been doing it. I wish I would have went with, with his strategy of, of not having the, the Georgia State-Georgia Southern game pulled up because it was kind of distracting me in, in trying to call the game on Saturday because, um, you know, you're paying attention to that and you kind of know the score of what, what's going on in, in, in this game, you know, ULM and ULL, and, and you kind of know, all right, you know, Georgia State needs to, you know, they, they need to lose. I mean, that's, that's how you're going to get into the tournament. And, you know, whenever I see, you know, how, how Georgia State ended up winning that ball game on, on Saturday, it, it certainly, um, you know, <laughs> Georgia Southern commits two errors in the top of the ninth inning, um, you know, to allow uh, Georgia State to score a run that ends up being the difference in the ball game, five to four. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, week two of conference play and, you know, Georgia State uh, making a decision. I mean, it goes all the way back to that. And then making a decision um, to, to call a ball game with a 20% chance of rain on a Sunday afternoon. And um, that's the difference in who's going to the tournament and who's not. You know, a team that, that ULM swept gets in and, ULM sitting at the house, but uh, they didn't do their bit, their job at the end of the season. Uh, they went 0 for 6 in the last two weekends, and I think Coach Fed said that in his postgame uh, interview with me. And so, uh, you know, disappointing, no doubt, and, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of positive things to build off of. But uh, I think he was ready to chew on some leather and uh, get right back at it. And uh, I can tell you another thing, uh, if this was his, his second time to, to play down in Lafayette, um, he was down there with Southern Miss, but his first time as the head coach of ULM, I don't think it uh, took a whole lot for him to uh, start having a severe dislike of the Raging Cajuns. So uh, there was there were some fireworks Friday night uh, between the coaching staffs with some questionable uh, things that were done late in the ball game, uh, the Raging Cajuns, and uh, I can tell you uh, there's there's some extra motivation uh, to, to get quick, get better quick and uh, try to get back at them. That's for sure. Nick, let's go back to the Thursday game, and it was it was a doozy. You called it basically a kick to the gut, the way, of course, the Cajuns won with the walk-off there in the bottom of the 10th, uh, just how things could have been different for the Warhawks if they would have been able to squeak out a win there in game number one. 
yeah, it would have been totally different. I mean, you look at it, and uh, it was a 3-3 ball game. Uh, you know, they played an outstanding game. Uh, the Cajuns left a ton of runners on base. Um, you know, error, a couple of errors were, were the difference in the ball game whenever you really look at it. But, you know, a 3-3 ball game going to extra innings. Uh, the Warhawks uh, end up with runners at second and third uh, with one out. Uh, the Cajuns make the decision to intentionally walk Chad Bell, who had a great weekend down there. Gets pr- predominantly left-handed pitchers. Of course, he's a left-handed hitter. So the Cajuns uh, made the move to, to intentionally walk Chad to load the bases, and then they, they made a pitching change. Uh, Will Daniels, of course, uh, senior, which we've all covered for years on the high school and now on the college level. Uh, he comes to the plate with one out and the bases used in a tie ball game, and you're kind of thinking, all right, you know, here it is. This, this is this is the moment right here, and um, you know, it, it it didn't work for him. He he struck out, and then uh, Brendan Jordan comes to the plate, bases loaded, two outs, and uh, he strikes out looking. And uh, you know, you can't say it on the air, but you kind of knew that that was the ball game. And uh, they come back in the bottom half of the inning, they get the first out, and then um, you know, Keegan Curtis, uh, 93 mile an hour fastball, and Aiden Cantrell, uh, who had a monster weekend for them, their freshman uh, shortstop, uh, he ended up with three home runs on the weekend, a home run in every game, including an inside-the-park home run. Uh, he started off uh, with his first home run of the series, an opposite field shot over the left field wall, and there you go. And, uh, you know, they, they win, you know, four to three in extra innings and kind of just, uh, you know, set the tone for the weekend, unfortunately. Nick, uh, ultimately, we three or four years down the road, how are we going to look upon uh, Coach Fed's first season with the Warhawks with, the, uh, what, the 23 overall wins in the 10 in conference play? Well, you know, he, he, he didn't really want to talk about it a whole lot uh, post-game on Saturday. Uh, but I think whenever he has some time to decompress, and I think if the fans, you know, we're in a microwave society, and I've certainly – uh, you know, had some had some folks, you know, you know, that are upset, and rightfully so. They wanted to get in, and um, out. You know, I wanted them in. Everybody did. Um, they wanted in. You know, they, they didn't go down there and say, "Hey, let, let's let's keep this streak going. Let's keep this losing streak going, guys. Let's let's hey, let's wear this thing like a badge of honor." Uh, they they wanted to go and snap that thing, and uh, they didn't. But um, I think whenever he has some time to kind of sit back and reflect, um, you know. He, he wanted to win more games, certainly, uh, but you know to, to win 23 games um, in year one with where the program was at, uh, pretty darn successful. Uh, they were picked, you know, dead last. Nobody gave them a fighting chance to do anything. You look at the games that they went and competed with in, in, inside the league with, you know, Coastal Carolina and Troy, who, who you know. Obviously, Coastal's going to be in a regional no matter what happens this weekend. Troy, if they have a good weekend, they have a chance to be in there. And then, you know, obviously, the Cajuns, um, you know, playing with Arkansas and some other teams like that. You know, they were in some ball games that they probably shouldn't have been in. And so you reflect on those and you look back and you say, this was a scrappy bunch. And, and every, every place I went, every place I went this year, especially inside the league, they were so complimentary of this team compared to years past. And um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, Saturday, uh, after we were done kind of packing up, uh, the individual who does color for, for the Raging Cajuns came into the booth, 
and said, you know, obviously you probably don't want to hear this at this time, but that's a well-coached baseball team right there. And he, he's a former coach and was just talking about how even whenever you're down five runs with, you know, two outs in the ninth inning, that team still, you know, their body language, the way they're acting, they're, they're, the way they're doing things out there, um, they're into the ball game, and that's a sign of a well-coached baseball team. And I heard that many times uh, throughout the season from, from a lot of different people, uh, you know, from, from members of the media and, and other broadcasters and people that have seen this team play over the years. So, um, you know, I think whenever they have a chance to finally sit back and, and kind of reflect over the whole, uh, what ended up being just 54 games for them this year, uh, there, there's going to be some moments where they say, Ugh, man, should have had this one. But there's also going to be some moments where they say, oh, we, we got that one where we probably shouldn't have as well. And that's, that's kind of how it goes uh, throughout the course of a season. But um, I believe the future is bright. I said it at the end of the broadcast on Saturday. I, I don't believe that we'll be sitting here worrying about them, uh, you know, wh- whether or not they're going to be in the conference tournament next year. I think it's going to be a matter of, uh, where their seeding's going to be, uh, they've got they signed a lot of guys. There's going to be a, a, a pretty much a brand new baseball team there next year, and um, you know they got they got some guys out of this draft out of the signing class that has the potential to get drafted, uh, which is a good thing. You know that that shows you the job they've been doing. So uh, I, I know the future is bright. I know they got the right guy in there as the head coach and um, and the right staff. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly believe that uh, this program is on the right track. Finally, Nick, I know there's some bad blood between these two programs, but uh, I guess you have to give the Cajuns some respect, and I certainly could hear it on your broadcast. The atmosphere down there, it sounded uh, like it was pretty uh, pretty incredible, or at least you could sense how good ULLL baseball is with their crowd and their atmosphere. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, they, they've renovated the park, and it's certainly you know very nice, and it needed a, a – uh, a facelift and you know I, I go back and, and there's certainly you know you hear about their college world series birth and yeah. that's been 18 years ago now and they just now got a complete basically a brand new stadium their turf they need new turf the turf is in pretty bad shape i was on it a lot um this week and i'm sure that'll be something they'll do uh next but um, as far as, you know, the, the suites and the press facility and, and you know, the new, new basically, stadium, uh, it's first class. And, but it took a lot of winning and a lot of money to be able to go and do that, a lot of winning over time to be able to go and do that. So it didn't just happen overnight. And uh, the other fans showed up. Uh, you know, Friday night was their best crowd. Uh, they announced over 5,000 uh, was there, and, and at times they got loud and, you know, when, whenever whenever the Warhawks made a mistake, uh, it, it kind of compounded things a little bit. It, it was, at least in the games that I called, it was the best crowd that they'd played in front of uh, all season long, including Arkansas. In Arkansas, we had cold weather up there, so it wasn't quite the atmosphere we were expecting. And so uh, you got to tip your cap to uh, their fans. They love their baseball, and uh, they show up, they show out. Uh, they've got tradition. They've got the things they do at the seventh inning stretch. They've got their songs. They've got their dances. They've got their, uh, what they do whenever somebody gets on base, turn to, and all their different things they do. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough place to go and try to win a baseball game. So uh, it, they're going to be awfully tough to knock off with that tournament down there uh, this week as well. So uh, watch out for them. They're playing good baseball at the right time. 
their offense uh, was struggling uh, for the first two months of the season. They seem to have gotten back on track. Uh, that's going to be a dangerous baseball team to uh, watch out for as well. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Guys, I, will, uh, I won't talk to you guys for a while. It's, uh, it's vacation time for me. I'm out of here. So uh, we'll visit here in, in about three weeks. So uh, it's, long it's time to get out of the country and go and uh, go and decompress. So uh, you guys, I think, Aaron, you're doing the same here pretty soon. So uh, How ironic that we'll be literally uh, about three or four miles away from each other. No, we'll be, a, we'll be a little bit further away. I think you're staying in a <clears> – <throat> I think we're probably about an hour away from each other. But, uh, yeah. hey, you know, hop a cab. Come see me. We'll be yeah. we'll be hanging out down there and uh, down in Jamaica. Come on. It's going to be fun. Uh, I'm ready to go. I can't wait. Uh, you know, I hated that the season ended, but uh, I've had that uh, – the only way to get a true vacation is to uh, to get out of the country, and uh, it is time to uh, – to get out, uh, kids are staying with with Peepaw in North Carolina, so we're gonna head that way Sunday and uh, drop off the the kiddos out there, and then uh, head to head to Jamaica and uh, have a little R and R and kind of kind of recharge the batteries after a long broadcast year. So uh, ready ready to go, and uh, we'll catch up with you guys here in a few weeks. Enjoy yourself, uh, sunscreen fifty too. So uh, lather up. Oh, at least if, if not more. Yeah, if not more. <laughs> The voice of the Warhawks, Nick White. Thank you, bud. Hey, guys. You ready to take a time? You ready to take a time out for parting shot? Yes, let's do it. Parting shots coming up after the break. In the fog at Pimlico, and good magic on the inside's got a head in front. Mike Smith goes to a right on Justify. They are nose to nose. Justified now sticks a neck in front. He's going to try to put away good magic, and they're into the stretch. And Mike Smith goes to the whip on Justify. Kenfold is closing in with Bravazzo on the outside as the field comes into the final furlong. It is Justify in front. Good magic on the outside. Kenfold. Bravazzo. Justify. He's unstoppable. He won the Preakness. Bravazzo was second. Kenfold was third. Good magic was fourth. And a final time of one minute, 55 and four fifth seconds. Not even the fog could stop him. <laughs> there he comes with the call. That's got to bring goosebumps to you, Jake. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> the fog Try could again. even stop him. Try Triple again. count hopes so. Still alive for Justify. It wasn't a dominating win, but it was a win. Great horses figure out ways to win. Still undefeated. I know you want to talk uh, NBA Finals or NBA uh, Western and Eastern Conference Finals. Didn't give it much airtime today. It is part of Parting Shots. Hello, friends. Welcome to a tradition unlike any other. Uh, I took my opponent lightly. I mean, take a look at him. Um, the last time anybody with highlights ever hit a golf ball was what guy ferrari on one of those eat them shows shamalama ding dong and they're like where would one come up with something that stupid i play poorly i have no excuses for that he played poorly too but that's his that's his game second place goes to it was embarrassment to, to my family lineage and i vowed to avenge myself this is what it's like when the big weenie starts to have a meltdown you know when 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 Al Michael snuck out on the seventeenth and screamed. Yes! I knew it was over. It's it, it's over. You know, I always sit on a sandwich while I drive. That way it's nice and warm by the time I pull up to the next diner. Heck. <laughs> 
play a little uh, next Saturday. Maybe uh, Tharp won't uh, dodge me. He'll be up for the challenge. Uh, we'll, we're interested in hearing how that goes. NHL finals, too, though. i got to figure out. Oh, yeah. you got to plan around that. Plan around that. Yeah. Well, I should play at night. Okay. So right. I think You're good, good to go. What you got? All right. Um, so this does, this is about as much airtime as the NBA deserves, this little part and shot. After. Just because it goes blowout? Yeah. I'm very disappointed. Very disappointed. I wanted some close games this weekend, and we didn't get them. But uh, I just wanted to point out a couple of things. I still think Boston's going to win the series against Cleveland because we finally saw the uh, the Roombas actually came out and played uh, Saturday night. Um, George Hill, he had three three-pointers in the first quarter. Kevin Love had a double-double. Uh, Kyle Corbin, J.R. Smith, listen to this. Entering that game, they were combined 17% from three-point range. And in that game, they shot 87% from beyond the arc. So if you think these type of performances are going to replicate themselves, along with Boston being as bad as they were, you got another thing coming. Mm. LeBron is going to have to be superhuman, plus these other guys are going to have to show up again for them to win that series. And I just don't see that happening. So some people might be thinking, oh, LeBron and the Cavs are alive. Yeah, they're alive, but they're just prolonging what's the inevitable, I believe. Game four tonight? Yes. 7.30 our time? Yes, 7.30 our time. Um, and then last night, you saw Curry went off. I still say one of the most exciting things in sports is seeing him go on one of those streaks where he can't miss. And, I mean, the crossover on James Harden where he drained that deep three and then did the shimmy, I mean, that was vintage Steph Curry. That was fun to watch. Um, but But if you look at it, you know, Curry and Durant outscored the Rockets starting five. So the Rockets reverted back to those game one woes where they're waiting deep into the shot clock to actually get going. And I thought they changed that in game two. I thought they were actually getting off early in the shot clock, and that's what was throwing the Warriors off their game. So anyway, I think it's it's both. I think it's, you know, Warrior. we're getting Warriors and Celtics, and we kind of – uh, we'll, I think we'll see it tonight with the Celtics and Cavs playing tonight that the Celtics are still in control of that series. I'll play over-under on uh, LeBron and Kevin Love tonight? Oh, sure. All right, so what should we set the over-under? You oh, said it. I'll set it, and last time I put it at 41. I think he scored 42. We put uh, Love at 19. I think he ended up with 22. Yeah. And they still lost. Yeah, they still lost. That All game. right, so let's put LeBron at uh, 43 tonight. Under. It's just too high. You can't go over. All right. So I'll say under. All right. Love at 19. Under. All right. And you already said Celtics are going to win tonight. What's the line, though? I don't know. You don't want to have it in front of you because you're not a true professional. That's right. Russell says can't beat Golden State. True. Especially at home. How many they won at home now? Was it? 16? 16. They just beat the Bulls record. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I think it's 16. All right, coming up tomorrow, we got a guest, Cat and Gill, joining for his weekly visit at 8 o'clock. We look forward to hearing from Lane Burroughs for his weekly visit at 8.30. Cleveland, six and a half. Yeah. yeah, I'll take Boston. Wow. Cleveland's giving up six and a half. Mm. Let's go to Vegas. Mm. Let's make some money. Mm. Everybody have a fantastic day. We'll yell at you bright and early tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. The Edge is coming up next. 
Thanks for listening to the best of the morning drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.